Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 10, number 10 out of 10. It is it, the final episode of the Summer Sports Spectacular. Finally, we are down to our final episode. And finally, I have returned home. That's right. You're hearing the voice of Jordan Lorenz. I am back. We'll talk all about the trip. Episode 22 of the podcast. We'll get into all of it. And I got a lot of stuff to talk about on that episode. The Cubs just completely gave away every single player they had. So they're going to be rebuilding for the next 20 years. The Brewers are making some moves, but they're getting caught with COVID. And the NBA is really heating up. Things are wild with what's happening there. Bucks Believer, he's doing some big boy numbers on YouTube. The Lakers are building a super team. Olympics are still going on. Trust me, guys. You will not want to miss our episode coming up on Monday. That is going to be huge. I can't wait to be back. But first, I have to thank you. Drew Skyberg, you held the fort and you did a fantastic job. How was it hosting that by yourself? That start intro, that was all you. Thank you, Jordan. It was certainly a different experience, you know, but appreciate the kind words. And it was great to hold the fort down because, I mean, in a few weeks, I'm actually, I'm going to be gone for a week, but you might be holding the fort down for a little bit. Hey, I don't know. We're going to figure it out. We will make it all work. No need to worry, Jordan and Drew, the sports crew, each and every Monday. Not Wednesday anymore, because this is indeed the final Wednesday episode of the Summer Sports Spectacular. And we watched 1976 NCAA championship game. This from the 1975-1976 season, not to be confused with the next year, where Marquette won the championship. Our Marquette, oh wow, I mean, that's crazy to say that the Golden Eagles win the year after this. But here we are, Indiana undefeated season everyone knows about it 32-0 going into the tournament can they become an undefeated team and make it all the way through something else that needs to be of note Rutgers was also undefeated coming into the tournament so for the first time ever two teams were undefeated going into the 32 team tournament we'll talk all about it as we get there but first a few season headlines, as it's called here on the internet. The Metro Conference began play with six original members. So, Drew, have you ever heard of the Metro Conference in an NCAA? No idea what that is. No, I have no idea either. And here's another one you probably haven't heard of. The Yankee Conference. Have you heard of that? I'm going to assume it's around New York, New York teams. Well, I, yeah, probably. I don't have any of the teams. Let's see what it says here. The Yankee Conference was a collegiate sports conference in the eastern United States. I mean, yes, that does indeed make sense. This was the last season for the Yankee Conference. They dropped all sports except football at the end of the season. So that's pretty big. Bye-bye, Yankee Conference. And then in the Pacific Gate Conference, UCLA won its 10th of what would ultimately be 13 consecutive conference titles that is such a huge record we all know how well ucla has done in college basketball they were second in the preseason poll coming into this year number one indiana you guessed it the undefeated team they were number one in the preseason poll and how about it marquette at number four in the preseason poll maryland was three north carolina five kentucky six notre dame seven louisville eight tennessee nine and Cincinnati at 10. It only goes to 20 teams. And in the preseason poll, 
Memphis State and Auburn were tie at 19th. Why would why would they do that? Why would there be a tie? It must be with like the points because the Associated Press poll they have points, so they must have tied with the amount of points they got when they got voted. I guess that would have yeah. to make sense. I don't I don't agree with it. I don't know why you would have two there, but at the end of the day, in the UPI coaches poll, Indiana was also on, and R. Marquette was number two in that coaches poll. So I found that very very intriguing. Real quick, before Drew reads some stats, we've got a few conference member changes. Cincinnati was independent, but they went into this Metro conference that I mentioned earlier on, began play with six original members. I actually can tell you the six members, Cincinnati, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Memphis State, St. Louis, and Tulane were the six members of the Metro conference. So there's that for you. And then North Texas, they went from Missouri Valley to Independent. So a little of a downgrade there, North Texas moving on out. And UNLV did the exact same thing. They were in the West Coast Athletic Conference, and now they're independent. Coming into this season, the season dominated by the Hoosiers. And Drew's going to read some numbers. These boys put up big numbers, three guys averaging double digits. Oh, yeah, Jordan. And they got a dynamic duo indeed. They probably they had the two best players in college basketball, in my opinion, in Scott May and Ken, Kent Benson. These guys, I mean, May averaged 23.5 a game. Benson averaged 17.3 a game. And what makes this really impressive is that there's no three-point arc. So, I mean, they did this with just taking twos, taking some, like, close shots. I mean, May is such an athletic – he's such a slithery finisher. You just saw him make some great moves to the basket. And, yeah, I can't forget about Tom Abernathy either. I mean, this guy, 10 points a game, and he was a solid solid player for this team as well. And I, I just – Benson, I think, is the heart and soul defensively too. He's just such a, such a great player for this team. And I can't say enough about May as well either. They had a lot, a lot of good guys who did a ton of good things for the team. One of them who didn't really do the best – I pointed it out to Drew before we started. Jim Robertson, Jim Robertson, not Robertson, Jim Robertson. Just a little fun fact. He only played 48 minutes in the year, so obviously he's a bench guy, not really getting much. But per 40 minutes, he averaged 12.5 turnovers, which is absolutely terrible. Poor guy. Not doing too well at all, but he was on an undefeated team in the regular season. Speaking of, who won? In some of these conferences, let's take a look. No surprise, North Carolina wins the ACC in the big sky. Boise State, Idaho State, and Weber State were the regular season winners, it says. They had three regular season winners. Indiana won in the Big Ten. That new Metro Conference was won by Tulane. So Tulane gets the job done there. No surprises, UCLA wins the Pacific Eight, but... It's just crazy to think that back at this time, Indiana undefeated, Rutgers undefeated, we're going into a tournament, two undefeated teams, first time ever, and let's see what happens, right? Looking at this tournament, as I said, 32 teams, which is very interesting. Now we know how it has completely changed in that other one we did. What was there, 50 teams? It was such a weird number that we did. Do you remember? Yeah, it had. remember it had like three or four playing games. It was the only year that that bracket was like that. So if you want to go back and listen to it, I believe it was like episode six. Some, maybe, maybe five. Maybe five, but like it was the only year they had that bracket format that they had. So It's coming back to me now. Five play-in games, because I remember there was 10 teams 
And then there was four buys in each one. So I'm pretty sure the one, two, three, and four seed in each bracket got themselves a buy, which is crazy. But here, a nice 32-team bracket, really nothing to worry about. And another thing interesting to know, we know in this past season for March Madness, either Duke or Kentucky made the tournament. The last time that happened was this bracket. We did not see Duke or Kentucky here in this tournament, which is mind-blowing because Kentucky was ranked number six in the preseason poll. So they fell off big time. And Drew, you're going to go ahead and cover the first two sides, which are the East and Midwest. East featuring Rutgers. Did they make it all the way? Midwest featuring Michigan, who we know made it all the way. But how did Rutgers do in the East side? Yeah, so the East region out of Greensboro, North Carolina. We got DePaul and Virginia. DePaul was victorious in that game. And then the two other ones, VMI against Tennessee. VMI took the dub there. Rutgers, undefeated Rutgers against Princeton. 54-53, narrow win there. They almost got upset right away. And then Connecticut and Hofstra, Connecticut took, took the dub there. Now we got four teams left in the East. DePaul and VMI. VMI is victorious. Rutgers, Connecticut. Rutgers wins by 14 over UConn, 93-79. And then VMI against Rutgers. Rutgers takes care of them mightily with a 91-75 win. And then in the Midwest, which is located in Louisville, Kentucky, Michigan edges Wichita State, 74-73. Then Notre Dame, Cincinnati, 79-78. So two one-point games there. Missouri, Washington, 69-67. Texas Tech, 69-56 over Syracuse. And then now four teams left in the Midwest. Michigan over Notre Dame, 80-76. Missouri over Texas Tech, 86-75. And then Michigan, 95-88 over Missouri to advance to the Final Four. And now, Jordan, you with the Mideast. I will get to the Mideast real quick. I did want to say Rutgers started a little slow. Then they got two big wins under their belt. And how about Michigan putting up 95 points to punch their ticket? Twos. Two. Yes, that's unbelievable because there are no threes. Crazy, crazy stuff. And it's not like they had more time either. It's not like they were 30-minute halves. This was the same exact things. We know Michigan and Rutgers is our first Final Four battle. But who else do we have? Will it be Marquette? Going to the final four, Alabama and North Carolina. Big win for Alabama, up by 15. I should mention the Mideast games. Played in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Indiana handled St. John's by 20. Marquette, 19-point win over Western Kentucky. And then a 10-point win, Western Michigan beats Virginia Tech. That game went in overtime, and Western Michigan still won by 10. So big win there. Doesn't end well for Western Michigan. They lose by 5. To Marquette, Indiana beats Alabama by five. So a pair of close games. It's now Indiana and Marquette. But Indiana knocks off our Marquette Golden Eagles 65-56, punching their ticket to the final four. And who will join them? There's a big, big game that we are going to talk about here. But first, from Los Angeles, the West region, Pepperdine, 87-77, beats Memphis State. UCLA beats San Diego State by 10 points. UNLV puts up 103 points to defeat Boise State. Arizona then beats Georgetown 83-76. And this is the big one, Drew. 
Arizona beats UNLV in overtime, 114 to 109. Are these guys not playing defense? I, we should do a summer sports spectacular episode on that one. Imagine just watching the defense played there. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. 114 to 109. That is crazy. UCLA then beats Pepperdine 70 61. So we got a matchup. Who will be the final team in the final four? It's UCLA. They beat Arizona 82 to 66. And something else to note this year was the first time that there were no third place games in each region. I mean, this is. It doesn't make any sense now because we've never even heard anything like that. But it says this tournament was also the first since the creation of the NCAA men's tournament in 1939, in which no regional third place games were played. In the first two tournaments, which were 39 and 40, the West Regional had a third place game, but the East did not. The East began holding its own third place game in 1941 and played that through 1975. So I don't know what they have with third place games, but we saw one because the losers of the final four played in a third place game. Also championship game. We know what happens. Michigan beats Rutgers 86, 70, and then Indiana beats UCLA 65, 51. So here we are, Indiana, Michigan in the final four played from the world famous spectrum in Philadelphia. Let's get right to it, Drew. You turn the game on. Our 20 minutes, NBC Sports. Kurt Gowdy, the announcer. They didn't waste any time. Game's on. Boom. They're tipping it off right away. What are your thoughts? Well, like you just mentioned, I heard Kurt Gowdy, and I'm like, we can't get away from this guy, can we? Um, no. Keeps haunting us. He does a good Love job. Kurt Gowdy, though. Yeah, I was going to say, you compared him to Joe Buck, and I agree. I mean, that's not a bad comparison. At least Gowdy's a little better than Joe Buck, but... At the end of the day, like listening to a familiar voice. So some of my game notes, Michigan, their starting lineup, four of the five starters were champions in high school. So you want to talk about recruiting and how big that is. Michigan did very, very well there. Bobby Knight, 124 and 20 record with Indiana at this point, which is crazy. These two teams did play each other in the regular season. Michigan. It was up by 10 points in that game, but eventually lost in overtime. So Michigan couldn't get the job done. And I think we see a little bit of the same thing here. Michigan's going to get off to a good start, but right out of the gate, 2-0. Indiana leads. What was with this camera angle? It was from the side. It was wacky. It was like we were sitting courtside. Okay, the side one was like, okay. But, Jordan, when they showed us the over-the-top angles for a few possessions, like <laughs> like they called it like the scoreboard view, like the like the Jumbotron. I don't even know what it was, what kind of view that was. But it was horrible, and it kind of ruined a few possessions for me, I'll be honest. I agree. I had that in my notes coming up a little bit later, but that was terrible. It was like basically we're in a blimp, right, riding overhead in the arena and looking down, but it was not a good bird's eye view. It was not one you would want. And Wilkerson here. So for Indiana, these Hoosiers, they said that this man, six foot seven, Bob Wilkerson, a six foot seven guard. He's one we didn't mention. He averaged 7.8 points per game during the regular season, but he goes down pretty early on and they send him to the locker room. I mean, it was tough to tell in live time, really what happened to him but he was down and he was hurt pretty bad we're going to talk about his injury coming up game is tie 
four to four. Michigan goes into a two three, and then they just start pouring it on ten four. Michigan lead, and they start talking about Wilkerson a little bit more. They say they actually took him to the hospital. Yeah, they did. And then what happened was they then tell us, "Oh, he's not in the hospital. He's in the locker room." Like, why? Why tell us he's in the hot? I don't. I have no idea why they would do that. But maybe they're told some wrong info. But that was certainly an interesting moment and kind of awkward for the announcers. Yeah, a little bit. They had to cover themselves for sure. They said he had a slight concussion. So, I mean, they were looking at brain. How they diagnosed concussions way back in the day, which kind of blows my mind because this is over 30 years ago. And they barely knew anything about a concussion. But thankfully, he didn't come back on the floor. We wouldn't see him the rest of the game. They said it was a big blow for Indiana, but I think they did just fine without him. Michigan was hot to start this game. Nine of 12 shooting is they lead eight. 18 to 10 Indiana calls timeout at this point they only have two rebounds drew Michigan up by eight this is an upset in the making and Michigan's doing everything right and Michigan I mean they're they're getting what killed Indiana in the first half was transition buckets they were just allowing too many easy buckets I mean Michigan was able to run the break guys like Ricky Green and Wayman Britt and Phil Hubbard they were just able to like run the break they were able to get some easy layups, make some tough layups as well, get a couple of N1s, and Bob, Coach Bob Knight really need to make some adjustments for the second half. And guess what? He made them right after that timeout. Indiana went on a big run. They now lead 21-20, to 20. and how about that sky hook? Oh, my goodness, a thing of beauty. Not anything we see anymore from the big men, but without a three-point line, not relying on the jumpers, Game certainly changed. Michigan takes the lead back, 31-29, four minutes to go in the half. A little later on, Indiana, they turn the ball over, the basically three possessions in a row, not looking good to end the half. Michigan didn't sub players until that final minute. So it's 35 Michigan, 29 Indiana at the half. And overall, what are your thoughts as we're through one half of play? Unbeaten Indiana trails by six. Well, you just mentioned something that I, I think was totally a big part of this game in the first half. I mean, their first sub came in with about a minute left, and fatigue could really hit this Wolverines team. I mean, the first half, they were able to go up by six, but in the second half, I mean, you could tell fatigue started to set in for this Wolverine team. And also, I think it's a little bit of a mental thing as well. The same exact thing that happened in that first game where they were up by 10, Indiana came back to win in overtime. That starts to happen here as we move along. So in the second half, they started with a tip. I was so confused. I like didn't know if this was a replay of the first half, but what are your thoughts on starting the second half with a tip? Yeah, I thought the same thing too. I was very confused. Um, I don't think they should, but um, I saw that Indiana go the other way. So I knew, hey, it's actually the second half. They just start with a tip because this is some 70s basketball. Honestly, I don't mind it too much. I mean, it's different, but... At the end of the day, it's really not going to make or break a game. Please, if you're listening, WIA, please let the tip-off return for high school basketball. If you're worried about COVID, all these players are so close to each other in the first place. The one thing they did was say, nope, we're not going to tip it off. Away team gets the ball first to start the game. One of the dumbest rules I have ever seen in my entire life. So WIA, I'm basically on my hands and knees right now, praying to you that you bring the tip back for this coming season back to the game though we're in the second half indiana 
there were some, some pretty easy shots. It's making me wonder how they got to this point in the season, but obviously commentary still putting over their guys. They're just having a little off day to start Michigan full court press. And uh, I don't know, it was a little too aggressive Four fouls for Britt here in the second half tie game 39 39. We know that fouls are going to come into a play a little bit later. Let's fast forward 10 minutes to go in the game. Still tie 51 51 drew at this point. We are watching a beautiful Beautiful game. Right around here, things begin to change. Michigan's freshman center's got four fouls. Indiana gets their biggest lead, 56-51, and they never look back after Hubbard fouls out. I mean, it really, with five minutes, 40 seconds to go, Indiana's up six. After that, 73-59, four minutes to go. It was all Indiana from here. It really was. You mentioned Phil Hubbard following out. I mean, Kent Benson was able to just get where he wanted in the post when he was out. Really allowed him to just get where he wanted. I mean, so they Indiana's offense, basically. I mean, you have Scott May. You'd have him kind of like take some fading shots off the dribble, some close shots there. And then otherwise, you would have guys like Buckner and Abernethy just set off all screens for um to get Kent Benson a good favorable matchup in the post. And he'd just throw up a hook or maybe make a little pump and make a layup, do a little drop step. But like their offense was fairly simple, I thought. And they were able to just do whatever they wanted when Hubbard fouled out. Too simple almost. It's like Michigan didn't even know what to do. But you have a story on Benson, don't you? I have a great story about Kent Benson. So, I mean, after this game, which he ends up going to be first overall, he gets drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks in the 1977 NBA draft. And Two minutes into his very first game as a professional, uh, what happened was Benson was in the post. I mean, this video is all over YouTube. Just look it up, Benson Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and it'll come up. And what happens is Benson gives a little elbow to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the abdomen, and Abdul-Jabbar uh, took exception to it. And then you just see him just like kind of like shut down for a few seconds, and then just something in his head. It just he was so angry he took. He just took it. I mean, he just sucker punched him in the face. He just sucker punched Benson straight in the face, and he Ugh. broke. What happened was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar broke Benson's jaw with this punch in his first two minutes in his very first game ever in the NBA. And then what also happened was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar broke his hand in the incident as well. <laughs> so this is one of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's first games back as a back to the Mecca as well because this is after he got traded from Milwaukee to the Lakers. So what a homecoming for um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to punch Kent Benson in the face. What a guy. I mean, talk about a temper and talk about the worst person to pick on in your NBA debut. You're going to go after Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I'm sure he didn't do a whole lot, but you guys go watch the video for yourself and figure it out. That's the Kent Benson story. But thankfully for him, his team won the national championship Michigan down by 10 76 66 220 to go Michigan turns the ball over not once but twice and at this point we know for sure it's all but over Indiana celebrates with a minute to go 82 68 30 seconds left Scott May 26 points and did you hear the PA announcer telling the fans not to storm the court afterwards did you catch that yeah we don't want um what happened in 
Uh, what game did we watch where that happened? It was one of the older games we watched where there were fans storming the court, too. I don't know if you wasn't, remember. Wasn't that the Laker-Pistons game? It was the 80, 88 finals, I believe. Yes, and that's 12 years after this. But the PA announcer here, he's like, I don't even remember what he said, but he's like, please stay in your seats or something like that. And sure enough, all the way, they just come storming down. Indiana, final possession of the game, they steal the ball from Michigan. Like, what are you guys doing? You're out big. You're winning the national championship. You can't even let Michigan dribble the ball out. They stole it. And that was it. 86-68, Indiana gets the job done. You want to talk about a one-sided half. First half, we know Michigan up. 35 29 they get outscored 57 to 33 in the second half i mean we talked about fatigue we talked about the mental game but what went wrong for michigan in the second half once the six minute mark happened and indiana had their big lead it was all but over and it wasn't even that big of a lead it was like 10 points and then michigan no nothing absolutely nothing yeah, I truly believe it was. That's when Phil Hubbard fouled out the six-minute mark, and what we saw, we saw Indiana just go on a run. Indiana, Indiana truly took advantage. I mean, this Michigan team. Don't get me wrong; they were a very good team. They're very scrappy, very aggressive. They were very balanced too. I mean, their lean scores 18, 12, 11, 10. So I mean, very balanced and just a scrappy team overall. Kind of reminds me of like like the Pistons team that we saw in like the '88 Finals again. Like just a well coached great team you know I agree with that wholeheartedly I'll go over some stats here before Drew talks about some award winners for the season leading scorer for the Wolverines Ricky Green 18 points on the night 7 of 16 shooting so not the best but far from the worst Wayman Britt 11 points he was 5 of 6 shooting which is very very well 12 points, 10 points. Our Hubbard actually only had 10 points, 11 boards. I mean, they had four guys in double digits, but couldn't get the job done at the end. John Robinson, six turnovers with eight points, and that's not going to win you a championship game. Green and Grody had four turnovers as well. So as for Indiana, two guys over 20, Kent Benson, 25, Scott May, 26, eight boards for May, nine boards for Benson. Buckner had eight boards with 16 points, five steals for Quinn Buckner in this game. May was 10 of 17 shooting, six of six from the line. Benson, 11 of 20 shooting. I mean, these guys doing well. May, Benson, and Buckner all had 39 minutes, which is a huge. Only other guy, Abernethy, 11 points, and then it's two, 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 two. So besides the top guys in double digits, really no one else to step up for this team, but they didn't need it. I mean, they were they were totally fine and in the second half. Like we said, once they blew the game out, there was nothing Michigan did, could do to come back. So all American teams here in the 75-76 season, there was the consensus first team, consensus second team. Second team featured two sophomores and three seniors. There was a Marquette guy on the second team. I don't know if you're going to mention any of them. I just threw them out there real quick, but talk about this first team a little bit. Two Indiana guys. Yeah, so definitely, Jordan. Kent Benson, of course, the junior out of Indiana first team. Adrian Dantley out of Notre Dame, a junior as well. He had a successful NBA career. John Lucas, senior out of Maryland. Scott May, senior of Indiana. And like Benson, his NBA career, both of their careers, they played only like seven to eight years in the league. And they were solid when they were there. Both made first team all-rookie teams, but 
they were cut short due to injury, unfortunately. But then finished round out the team. Richard Washington, a junior of UCLA. So that's the first team. And then I got the major player of the year awards as well, Jordan. And go for it. Here Indiana it dominated. Yes, they did. They got the Naismith Award, Scott May of Indiana, the Helms Player of the Year, co-players, Ket Benson and Scott May. So the, t- the dynamic duo there gets it. The AP Player of the Year, Scott May. And then all of the major awards else go to Scott May, except Adrian Dantley gets the Oscar Robertson Trophy. So uh, good for him there. And then Major Coach of the Year awards. Here we got a split. AP Coach of the Year, Bob Knight of Indiana. The Henry Eba Award, John Orr, Johnny Orr of Michigan. NABC Coach of the Year, Johnny Orr. UPI Coach of the Year, Tom Young of the Rutgers. And the Sporting News Coach of the Year, Tom Young of the Rutgers. So Rutgers, Michigan, Indiana, all three of them. Three Big Ten teams, Jordan. Get the, I believe Rutgers was Big Ten. They might have not been back then, but they all split the Coaches of the Year awards. So that, that rounds up the awards. Crazy. I mean, you're talking about three. They all deserve it, though. Rutgers undefeated in the regular season. Indiana undefeated all around. Hasn't been done since. Michigan, the team that made it to the finals. This was also, I should mention, two Big Ten teams in the finals. First time that two teams from the same conference played in the title game. So that was it. I mean, like I said, last time a tournament featured two unbeaten teams coming into it. This year, we had Gonzaga looking to do it, but they couldn't beat Baylor in the championship game this indiana record still holds up to this day of going undefeated it is something that a team will try and do like we just saw but it is very very hard especially in this day and age when upsets are a plenty so that wraps it up episode 10 indiana's historic season they get the job done here defeating michigan pretty easily beating michigan in this game and that was it it's I got confused because I was just looking at the attendance, but it must have been overall tournament attendance because it's it's two hundred two thousand five hundred two. There's no way that was for the championship game, but they were loud in the finals. Did you hear them? This crowd was rowdy. Yeah, they had some student sections, and you're right, it was very Kurt rowdy. <laughs> Good one. Yeah, nice little way to end episode ten of the Summer Sports Spectacular. Thank you guys for all the support. Through the Summer Sports Spectacular, this takes up a lot of our lives, guys. We're talking a two- to three-hour game a week, all the time to prep and figure out stats and numbers and all the little things, getting our notes right. We put a lot of work in this summer, and it's not like we're just sitting at home every day. I mean, we're some working boys, and we're trying. Drew's watching games during his break. I watched a part of a baseball game at work, too, one time. I mean, we did everything we could to get these episodes to you. To make my point even more valid, I came home from Nashville Monday. Flight got delayed an hour, actually. But once I got home, unpacked everything, I watched this game, and I prepared the notes, and I was ready to have Summer Sports Spectacular up on Wednesday. And that's it. Summer Sports Spectacular has been complete. Don't think we'll be doing it again next year. However, these episodes are all here for you to listen to whenever you want, Drew. Anything else you want to say, not just about this game, but Summer Sports Spectacular in general? Yeah, I think it was a great ride. I mean, it was something we wanted to pump out some more content for the summer. But like like Jordan mentioned, it probably won't be another series we do in the future. But we're thinking maybe once in a while we do a game or something that maybe just to throw in some new content. But yeah, we, we like we want to keep our stuff fresh. We want to throw you guys more new specials, more new creative episodes to like 
pair well with our weekly series because we want to keep that Monday series going for a long time. And speaking of, if you didn't listen to that recent episode, Clay Taylor, the Bucks believer, he hinted at one of our next guests coming up. So we've got a few in our back pocket. We're getting ready for some fun episodes. UFC recap this Sunday, possibly depends how these Manitowoc bandits do playoff time. They actually have a game tonight at Casco. Then they got a game Friday at Municipal Field. Hope to see you all there. If they split those two games, then there will be a game Saturday night, obviously 7.30 first pitch. UFC pay-per-view starts at 9. I wouldn't be able to watch the entire thing, but we'll see what happens. We'll figure it all out when we get there. Other than that, Drew, show yourself out for the final time on a Wednesday. Yeah, Instagram, Twitter, you know the drill. Drew Skyberg, D-R-E-W-S-K-Y-B-E-R-G. My apologies to our zero to five people who actually watch the videos on YouTube. Episode 21 is up now. It wasn't up right away on Monday, but we got it up now. So there is that Jordan and Drew, the sports crew on YouTube. Jordan Drew underscore sports crew on Instagram. Jordan and Drew, the sports crew on Facebook. Leave that five-star review on Apple Podcast. Follow us on there and join our fantasy football league. Drew shouted it out on Monday, but don't forget, guys, we're still looking for some more teams. We'll be mentioning it each and every week until we fill up our league. A prize will indeed be given away. I'm on Twitter, Jordan Law underscore PXP, and that wraps it up for the final edition of Jordan and Drew's Summer Sports Spectacular, the perfect podcast for you.